Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Believe in UCLA football podcast. Uh, Once again, as always, I am your host, James H. Williams, a reporter and editor for the Orange County Register. I'm joined here today by former UCLA linebacker Josh Woods himself. Josh, how you doing, man? Doing great, man. How you doing? Doing pretty good. Um, I'm not going to stop talking about it. This heat here in the IE is getting pretty ridiculous. Um, I haven't been outside today, and I'm okay with that. Um, but let's talk about some things that are going on with UCLA football. That's why we're here, right? Um, we have some fun topics, I think, to talk about today, or some interesting topics. Uh, something One of our major topics is kind of based on what we talked about um, in the last episode, so make sure you guys go back and check that out. We talked about the schedule release. Uh, for some of the games that were given uh, broadcast TV times and whatnot. And uh, we also talked about some recruits in the last episode. We'll be talking and touching on some of those same topics in, in one way or another here today. But yeah, Josh, you're out there in Canada. What's, uh, what's going on? What's the, the update on, on the Canadian Football League season? Kickoff uh, Saturday to start the season. Okay. Weather's been great. I mean, a lot of rain here and there, but that's been pretty sunny and High 60s, low 70s, you know, at the top, nothing too crazy. Um, but it's, it's all good out here, um, up I don't, here in uh, Canada. It, and um, I don't know if we mentioned it before. Uh, what team What team do you play for, and who do you guys have for your season opener? I play for the BC Lions, which mm-hmm. is in Vancouver, British Columbia. And um, our first game is against the Edmonton Elks uh, on Saturday. And okay. – um, we're having a big season opener. I know we just got new ownership, so they're trying to do it big. Ooh. We've got, a, okay. I think, one Republic performing um, right before the game. Okay. Yeah, if you, I mean, if you hear some of the songs, but oh, yeah, like I've heard this. Some like the, right. you know, those type of songs. Okay. Um, so y'all doing it big out there then, huh? Should be rocking a BC place come Saturday. Sounds good. Sounds good. Let's move back over to the States here and talk about UCLA football, as I mentioned. Um, Just real quick, a a few notes, some things that jumped out at me. Um, I'm actually wearing um, the College Football Foundation shirt, um, Future in Football is what my shirt says. And that kind of ties back to um, what was announced for the 2023 College Football Hall of Fame ballot. Um, Some UCLA representation on there. Uh, Two guys that were on there last year. Uh, John Lee, a UCLA place kicker back in the 80s. Um, I'll read a little bit about him. As I mentioned, place kicker, two-time first-team All-American, earning consensus honors in 1985. Uh, He boasts the NCAA's uh, highest career field goal percentage among players with at least 55 attempts uh, with .859. Uh, he was a two-time first-team All-Pac-10 selection who helped the Bruins to three league titles and finished his career as the Bruins' all-time leading scorer with 390 points. Um, and so, yeah, so, that, so that's John Lee. As I mentioned, he was on the ballot last year. Um, I have a vote for the College Football Hall of Fame, so I definitely remember seeing that name on the ballot. Um, another name I was familiar with on the ballot, and I think at this time I was thinking, man, he'd be great to have on the coaching staff. Since he's an alumni, uh, Ken Norton Jr. himself um, is on the ballot as a player. Um, he was, uh, yeah, he was a teammate of John Lee's. Actually, they, they uh, were on that conference championship team in 1985 for the Bruins. Um, but yeah, Ken Norton Jr. was a 1987 first-team All-American, leading the Bruins to four consecutive bowl wins. 
and he led the team in tackles in 1986 with 106 tackles and 1986 with 106 tackles and again in 1987 with 125 he ranked sixth in school history with 390 or 339 career tackles excuse me um anything anything uh real quick on on those two guys did, did you did you guys ever hear about john lee or is he just getting that like place i kicker? Heard, heard his name mentioned before okay. um but with a a track record like that that's mm -hmm. definitely impact and when i think of any type of hall of fame class any type of halloween status i think mm -hmm. of not only just your stats but your impact on the game and yeah. to be the leading scorer to be you know have that percentage, at ucla yeah to you know do something not one year but two years in a row mm -hmm. that, i mean that shows that you're on your stuff and that you're consistent and it wasn't a fluke um specialists are people too so yep. <laughs> i think specialists matter right yeah so i mean it's definitely harder probably to for people mm -hmm. to vote for a specialist when there's all these other skill positions and the, the positions mm -hmm. that you think about the quarterbacks and running backs and receivers where the stats are more you know oh yeah in your face and, and flashier and everything else yeah it, mm -hmm. those are the things that you know usually look for but like i said specialists are people too and it would with something like that i feel like he has every right to be in there ken norm jr we talked about him but last week we've talked about him just about almost every episode he you know he, yeah just like the his legendary status mm -hmm. is ucla great his impact on football and his legacy clearly yeah. we're talking about it to this day and his name you know i mean is always in conversation usually when you're talking about um, when you're talking about UCLA, mm -hmm. talking UCLA football, and when you're talking about college football linebackers, I feel like yeah. his name is always relevant in those conversations. So that's definitely impact the legacy of why he should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, no doubt about it. And just to put things into perspective for this college football Hall of Fame ballot, um, at some point, like kind of like I think during the middle of the season, they may get down to the finalists, but then um i think closer to like the national championship game or conference title week they start um they have the hall of fame um induction ceremony i believe so we'll get the the finalist named at some point but uh the ballot for 2023 features 80 players and nine coaches from the college football subdivision or also known as the fbs and then it also has 96 players and 33 coaches uh from the divisional ranks so that's like ncaa division 1a double a etc cetera, etc cetera, division two maybe um, so yeah, just like some of the name one, I mean, one name that stands out, there's a bunch of different names, but one, um, was like Antoine Randallel was on there. Um, you know, so there's some guys like there's, there's guys that you'll know just from the NFL who like haven't even made it in yet. And Ken Norton Jr. is a perfect example of like, yeah, I know that name. Like I'm surprised he's not in already. Um, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe this will be the year for, for Ken Norton Jr. And for, uh, John Lee. But as I mentioned, uh, for the ballot, as we kind of wrap up. The, the, this topic here the um for the divisional player like kind of you know standouts and whatnot bill mcgovern the new ucla defensive coordinator is on the hall of fame ballot um under the divisional category um for his playing career at holy cross he was a defensive back uh let's read a little bit about him we've kind of you know been caught up to speed a little bit about what he is as a defensive coordinator um, obviously being on a member of that Eagle staff with Chip Kelly and Jerry as a narrow and whatnot, but yeah, here's Bill McGovern in it's playing days. Um, he was named a first team all American in 1984. He led the nation in interceptions in 1984. 
Um, he set a Division One AA career interception record with 24 and was a two-time All-ECAC performer in 1983 and 84. And he was named a team, a team captain for Holy Cross in 1984. Um, when, I'm, when I think of Bill McGovern and, again, having a chance to talk to him before and whatnot, didn't know he um, did his thing and was picking up interceptions like that. That's pretty crazy to kind of read about. Wouldn't have guessed. So we'll see what kind of Im impact he'll have on the defensive backs for, for uh, this class. But um, again, we've always kind of touched on it before. I like picking your brain on it. We, again, we won't spend too much time on it, but when you kind of hear like your defensive coaching staff, both of them are two new guys coming in this year. And both of them are like in consideration for college football hall of fame. Does that not only sweeten the pot when you're a defensive guy or just a um, high school prospect in general and considering someone like considering a place like UCLA, like does that not sound good to you coming in, um, having two Hall of Fame nominees um, on that coaching staff? Does that do anything for you at all? I think that you just give them more respect as somebody that has mm -hmm. been in your shoes and, you know, done the things that they've done. It just gives them, um, like I said, more respect of having that track record. So it's mm -hmm. like, like I said um, before, it's, it's easier to have a coach that, that has done it before, mm -hmm. just in the level of um, the way that you, you kind of look at them a little differently mm -hmm. than rather than somebody who hasn't been in your position before. Yeah, for sure. It's like, you don't have to look at the wall at UCLA and, and look at Troy Aikman and say, yeah, I want, I want the career Troy Aikman had or whatever. Right. Like, yeah, you got two guys in person, like in the weight room mm -hmm. on the practice field. Like it, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that, but yeah. Um, real quick. I, we were talking a little bit before the show getting ready. Um, there was a name you mentioned as far as uh, someone that was on the UCLA roster over the last couple of years, a name people might be familiar with who I believe announced his retirement. Yeah, Martel Irby um, mm -hmm. recently retired through a music video where he, um, he's, I mean, he's always been such a talented kid, mm -hmm. um, such a good spirit, great locker room guy, and then plays his heart out on the field. But um, through the lyrics and through the song, you kind of hear about things that he was kind of going through mental health-wise mental health -wise, mm -hmm. um, and just his heart being kind of split between ball and his future. Um, and he decided to retire from the game. Um, I think I think the UCLA football team is really going to miss him. Like I said, not only on the field, but in the locker room, mm -hmm. such a, you know, a guy that can definitely boost him around the locker room, just being himself. But um, coming from, I believe in high school, he, he came from a, he, he went to a musical high school, but yeah. played football at a different high a school different in San one, Diego. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like, he's always had that background of, you know, music and instruments and being mm -hmm. an artist and things like that. Um, definitely he has, since this whole NIL and everything going on, he's able to produce his own content, has some mm -hmm. like YouTube thing going on. Music has always, he's always been putting out music since he arrived on campus. I remember that. Um, it's a really talented and just great person. So, um, it's unfortunate for UCLA football that, uh, you know, a guy like that is leaving the program, but also as a friend of his, very excited for his future and, and to see, um, just what he's able to do now. I mean, he was having a really split between two yeah. career paths for him, you know, mm -hmm. maybe, you know, NFL and the pros in one way, and then being an artist and, uh, really like an entrepreneur in a way and a businessman on the other side, having that split. So now he can go all in. And, um, I feel like 
he felt that was best for him in his future is to go all into the career that he sees himself succeeding in the most and yeah. being the, the happiest. I mean, you know, mentally that and that's what's most important at the end of the day. Right. And um, and we'll and we're going to touch on the mental health topic um, in a future episode for sure. We could probably spend a whole episode on that. Um, but yeah, no wishing nothing but the best for martel irby when you actually told me that again like i like you heard me like i was like wait what like are you th am i thinking of the player like is that the name that i think i'm thinking of um and it was so just a little bit about irby he was there from 2018 up until the you know now i guess but he played in 2021 um, i believe he made a position switch he was one of these guys we've talked about in the past where there's chip kelly will have a guy who he can switch his position, right? So he was someone who started off as a running back and was on the special teams unit um, back in, ninth, in, in 2018. Um, he saw action in all 12 games as a true freshman, um, as a reserve for both of those units, as a running back and um, a special teams guy. Played a little bit in 2019, that pandemic year. No, not the pandemic year, but um, the year before the pandemic. But uh, actually, that 2019 was your final year, right? Um, yeah. so he played in eight games as a reserve running back and special teams again, um, didn't see action during the pandemic year, which was just a crazy year in 2020 as it was, but came, was, was back and back in action in 2021, um, and made that he had made that switch to a reserve nickelback and played in all 12 games, had a block punt against Oregon, um, had multiple tackles in eight games. Um, but the thing I, I like about Irby and it sounds like, you know, obviously you spent a lot more time with him, but it sounds like he was the same dude. Even when he was talking to the media, we talked to him a few times and a lot of the times we would talk about football and whatever, just kind of what, whatever was going on. We talked about his position switch a little bit, but it would always end up getting into like music and who's his favorite artist and just different things like that. And he always had a smile on his face. Um, and we're all so tempted. Like we wanted so bad, the guys that, that cover the team, like we were always looking for something different. Right. And we were always excited when it was like, Oh, Irby's going to speak to us today. And we, we always wanted to know when the next time he was going to talk and have, like, we need you to bring an instrument to practice. Like, we want to see you play. We always hear people talk about your music. We want, like, we want to hear it. We want to see you, like, do something, like, live during a media session. That would have been great. Um, real quick question. I haven't had a chance to see the retirement video. Did he, is, is he, the, like, did he perform the song? Is it his song in the video? Yeah, it's, or? A, it's, a, it's a, no, it's his music. It's a music video. Okay. Yeah, like so it's it's, like, it's, it's all his, him, right? Right. right. He's yeah, he's performing. It has highlights. It has him okay. uh, rapping on Spotting Field. Like it's it's a full on production of. Oh, wow. You know, it was like it was a yeah, it was a dope way to do it. Um, and and maybe that's a glimpse into what we'll like start to expect from Irby. Like, and you talk about his content creation. Like, maybe that's more of what we're gonna get. That kind of that. Kind I of mean, stuff. he was already doing. Or he was already it, doing now, it. Yeah, he was already releasing music videos mm -hmm. and content videos, uh, like vlogs and all different types mm -hmm. of stuff. So, so now I'm saying he had the time to yeah. go all in. And like I said, he's such a great guy and uh, just such a good heart and such good energy. That's why he was able to. Yeah. Um, make the position change and do special teams mm -hmm. because that same heart and that same energy you saw on the field where he would play his butt off is that's the kind of guy that you want in those yeah. positions. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's going to be a blow to, I think UCLA football to lose a guy like that. And once again, more guys are going to have to step up and fill yeah. roles. I mean, people don't often, um, people don't often think about those special teams roles mm -hmm. um, until a guy is, not there anymore yep um like, like you Ethan always are thinking, 
<laughs> yeah, I'm saying losing a guy like Fern is going to yep. be a big blow of like you're going to need guys to move on. And um, I think we saw that um, probably after the 2015 season, we saw a little bit. And then mm-hmm. after the 2016 season, we really saw it as far as there was a point where with Mora's group, he had guys that were like special team Swiss Army knives where like they're on the big four. They're captains. They run it. They it was like a pride and a, and a right. you know a thing like that. And we kind of didn't have guys that that filled those roles. So when those guys graduated or you know and moved on from the program, it was like, dang, what are yeah. we gonna do now without a, a Taylor Legacy or a but a Cam Judge or you know all these guys or even when a specialist guy levels up to being a mm-hmm. star starter on defense like a Jayon Brown who was again, one of those specialists that were on off for like really dominant and game changing on special teams. Now he becomes the starting little linebacker. So now he can't take all the special teams reps. Like who's, who's going to step into that role. And like a lot of times guys that are so special on, you know, on these special teams, it takes literally a handful of guys just to fill, you know, those roles. So, I mean, we're going to see you say special teams this week. Maybe, I mean, we're, um, I actually live with Stefan Flintoff, who was a, a oh, wow. punter for UCLA. So maybe we can have him on and talk well, specialists yeah. because we haven't talked about really mm-hmm. special teams yet, which is, yep. you know, major. So we're going to have to talk about it. Yeah. Losing a guy like Fern, now losing mm-hmm. Irby, who's going to fill these roles on these special teams, these gunner positions, these, you know, well, like- different. The returners, Kyle Phillips, is is no longer going to be back there, right? I think Kaz Allen might be doing some of that, but his position role might change depending on what he's doing with uh, receiver or running back. Like, there's a, yeah, there's going to be a lot to kind of go through with that. So you make a good point. And again, I think it goes back to what you said at the beginning, like specialists matter. Specialists are important, right? Like we have one who's a candidate to go into the Hall of Fame for UCLA and, and into the College Football Hall of Fame. And now, you're, you know, you're losing your, your, your platoon of guys here, those experienced guys. And um, you're going to need that next crop of guys to start up. And again, I, I think it says a lot about your character and what kind of teammate you are to be on special teams, because again, 100%. when you're getting recruited, you're not be- being recruited saying, Oh yeah, you know, we have a great spot for you on special teams. No, 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 no. Like, you know, Irby, yeah, you're not, you're, yeah, you're not yeah. thinking that at all. Right. Like that's I'm, the last I'm recruited thing to come remember. play, to come yeah. play linebacker. So mm-hmm. like I, I played on one special team in high school and then, Mm-hmm. But when I played my uh, sophomore year, I was on all four. Like, yeah, you're just trying to get and, on the field. You're trying to be an impact guy anyway. And you that's can, what right? that's what you learn after after all your recruiting process and everything. Mm-hmm. Like your first day, really being at the at the school, um, you know, first day of camp. Yep. If you're not Dorian Thompson Robinson or like a five star quarterback, yeah, not a five star guy, uh, right? maybe like yeah like the top receiver mm-hmm. in the league or you know the quickest way to get on the field is special teams yeah. and a lot of i think that's why it was such a drop off it was cuz guys came in thinking they were the stuff and were not willing to mm-hmm. make that sacrifice to be on special teams which is a really you really got to be you know it's real selfless and yep. team first to be on special teams mm-hmm. and those like it's important and like even like now like me playing in the cfl the mm-hmm. rules are totally different so there's only three down so special teams are oh, wow. like even more yeah part of the game there's an emphasis on it that much more Every, so 
kick returns and punts have to be returned. So like special mm. teams is probably almost one third of the game for real up here. Wow. So it's just important to have, you know, important part of football to have, you know, mm. that experience and that thing. So I'm just hoping that Fern and guys like Irby and some of the older guys from the previous years who have gotten that experience passed it along to some of the younger guys yep. who continued on this year. And then it's just an overall, you know, a trickling down process of an older guy teaching a younger guy and then developing through the season and special teams, figuring it out. And then them teaching a younger guy. So, um, and then we'd even mention it, the special teams uh, coach, coach Sage. Yeah. It's went true. To Nevada. That's right. So I'm trying to remember. That might be, we haven't talked about it, but that might be the biggest question mark. I think so too. Oh yeah. Now special teams. Oh, for sure. Um, and I'm trying to remember if they hired somebody or not. I think they did. I mean, usually in, well, I know usually in college football, the special teams coordinator is never just special teams. It's usually a different position coach that. Yeah. Can do multiple. That's true. We're, we'll have to circle back to that. I'll have to look and see because I know there was like position changes that were hired or made. Like I know they got an offensive line coach. They got a tight end. Yeah, they hired a tight end coach, but they did not. Like there was nothing said about that tight end coach or anybody being special teams. So we actually got to look into that. Um, it might already be out. I just maybe don't. I'm not aware of it. But when we do a special teams episode, we'll, we'll cover it then. Um, but one thing we do want to cover and talk about, and again, going uh, piggybacking off what we did in the last episode, make sure you go, you check out all of our episodes um, on the Believe um, Network and also on all your favorite audio um, and podcast platforms, whether that be on um, Spotify, Apple Music, et cetera, et cetera. Make sure you search Believe in UCLA Football and download, like, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your family. Tell everyone that's a fan of UCLA or even just a fan of college football in general, right? Um, but yeah, one of the hottest topics and things that it, you know, that's still kind of developing depending on conference, um, was the kind of shakeup with how uh conferences are looking at the conference title game. Um, I guess what I was able to kind of pick up from from some of my notes and whatnot was the NCAA kind of um, relax some of its rules where it wasn't like, hey, you're whoever your top two division, your your top team from each of your two divisions. If you have a division, um, divisions in your conference, those are the two teams that are going to be in the conference title game. I guess they're relaxing on that rule a little bit. Um, and when they made that announcement, it was only like minutes later that the Pac-12 jumped on. Obviously, they know all this stuff at a time, but the Pac-12 conference jumped out a few minutes later with their own announcement. Say, yep, we're doing it. You no longer have to win your division to be in the uh, Pac-12 championship game, you just have to, like, we're just going to get our top two teams, regardless of division, and that's who is going to play in our conference championship game. Again, this is a, this change is happening immediately. Sometimes you'll, you'll hear these kind of things and the transition of something will take two or three years. Nope, they're going to just do it this season, right? And it's kind of good they're doing this during the offseason and people, it gives time and people um, to be aware of it. Um, but yeah, so it's going to be based off the winning percentage and the top two teams with the highest winning percentages um, will be in that uh, championship game. Um, I have some examples of how things would have shaken up if this um, rule would have taken an effect over the last couple of years. Like it kind of changed. Uh, it would have changed quite a few situations, including some UCLA was involved with. Um, and then I also have a comment here. Um, from the press release that um, was quoted from uh, Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyakov, 
Um, but yeah, I'm just kind of curious real quick, some of your thoughts on, on hearing this, um, you know, the removal of divisions in terms of it impacting uh, the national or the conference title game. I think it's cool having the best teams play against each mm -hmm. other just so we can get the best team, hopefully yeah. towards, you know, the playoff or the Rose Bowl mm -hmm. situation, right? But my thing is the way the schedule is set up, it's still going to be North teams, majority playing is going to play all the North and a few South teams, South teams yeah. playing all South and a few, mm -hmm. you know, I wish everybody had to play everybody because there has been times where two teams up North dominate the North yep. because everybody in the North isn't good except those mm -hmm. two teams. So of course they're <laughs> yes. going to have a better record when the South has always been Dog, uh, yeah. dog, yeah, knock each other, knock each other off, mm -hmm. you know, situations like that. So I feel it they have to fix the schedule somehow so where mm -hmm. it's a more even distribution between yeah. the north and the south schedule-wise in those nine conference games. Mm -hmm. It can't be how it is right now. Do you know what I'm saying? So yeah. Well, I guess it's five and Four. Well, it, the, the thing that makes it complicated, because I asked these, like, I try to figure it out, too. So real quick, though. So the reason I think that will be that's going to be taken into account when. Again, that's why it's kind of surprising that they're starting that whole rule like this season, because the schedule was already out. So it's like, whoa, like you guys are doing that now. So it does raise the question that you just brought up. But I think going forward, it'll be taken into account. And then remember the whole like alliance thing. With the and yeah. with the ACC yeah. and um, who yeah. was the other one? Um, who well, was the other yeah, the Big Ten or whatever. Teams were going over and then yeah. The so it's like it, there's still like debate on what the schedule is going to look like because it's going to be where like UCLA maybe shouldn't have the schedule it has with some of these um, unranked teams, as you put it last week, that they have in their non-conference schedule this year, right? Like have a Clemson in there, have a um, somebody else right just have some teams like like from the acc or whatever to fill out that non-conference schedule and you're boosting everyone in the conference if everyone's playing you're raising everyone's stock but then it but, also looks that much better for these okay bowl game but games. my thing is for for the pac-12 championship though it's just who has the best pac-12 record or who has the best record overall that's a good question. Okay, because, so it says that, that's where it, that's where it changes. It just said the use of winning percentage in conference games to determine okay. championship game participants though. was passed with unanimous support from coaches, ads, and president presidents in the Pac-12. So everyone in the Pac-12 agreed to this, and it will, yes. So to answer your question, it's only for conference games. So the alliance okay. that we I just talk about maybe doesn't yeah totally that, apply that makes here, it. But. That makes your non-conference games still not matter. Yeah, um, right. Which I was going to say would have been is. great for UCLA this year because if they won those non-conference yeah, games, they, they would have boosted yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, though, mm -hmm. does strength of schedule factor in or Pac-12 strength of – because think, usually mm -hmm. UCLA doesn't play one of the Washington teams and one of the yeah. Oregon teams. So if we play Washington, we play Oregon then, mm -hmm. and then for two years, and then we'll play yep. Washington State and Oregon State. So the strength of schedule inside the Pac-12 factor in if two teams that haven't played each other 
are the second and third team. You get what I'm saying? So, are you you talking about like tiebreaker situation almost? Yes. So, say I have to have I have your answer for that. I was like, say team two and three have the Mm -hmm. same record, but they haven't played each other, so you can't say, oh, okay, we beat them, so we have a tiebreaker. So, who gets to go in between those two? Okay. So, and I actually thought maybe I wasn't prepared for for the situation, but I am. So it says, um, any ties this season will be broken by head-to-head outcome or other steps that will focus on conference results. And the example of that would be record against common opponents. So, oh, yeah. So, so, and again, like a lot of this will, will, it's just, it's, it's, it's messy because like, and almost works against like, someone like a well what is it there's some deal where oh so like ucla will always play stanford and cal because they have these california like history rivalry traditions right they play like every year i think they played cal like every year since like 1970 something or whatever right yeah and and the pandemic was almost the only thing that interrupted that but then one of the games got canceled whatever and they brought cal back in and that continued on but so that's why like you only get like two new north teams every couple years like you said um so yeah it will we'll have to see how much of the traditions get broken right like i'm usc is still going to be on the schedule i would imagine but when if we're moving away from divisions what does that mean for the schedule are we going to see usc uscla every year are we going to see cal and ucla stanford you have you have to have those three and you have you have to but then those what, are but, those are the three that you have to have you can go without playing like Ari- no, you don't need arizona's you don't need colorado every year right yeah i'm saying those those three are like keep your in-state games yeah or you're like your bigger rivalry games mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. beyond that you can rotate everybody else i feel like okay i respect that i, I mean i think that's what's coming that's going to be coming along right like at after this season, again, they just wanted to get it started this season. And I think because the commissioner and, and those guys that are that took over the Pac-12, they're like, their goal is to get someone in national championship contention, right? Like, and they're yeah. trying to do whatever they can to make that possible. Obviously, yeah. like some USC is going to be in that mix. As long as they, you know, meet up, meet their potential, you're going to see Oregon maybe back in that mix, maybe depending on what their new coaching staff does. Um, but yeah, like. They're trying to make it so that they at least have representation in the playoff. That's the goal right now. Obviously, they're going to say they want to win the – they want a team yeah. to win it, right? It's but, interesting when you think about it that football is the only sport that doesn't play every conference opponent. Exactly. Because right. soccer plays everybody. Mm-hmm. Basketball plays everybody, what, twice? Yeah, twice. Once at home and once away, I think. on um, Like baseball is going to play everybody. Like mm-hmm. gymnastics has to meet with every team in the Pac-12. Yep. Volleyball has – you know, football is the only sport that I know of in college. I would admit, yeah, doesn't play every team in the conference. Off so the top of my head, yeah. As I'm saying, that's it's not weird, but it's it could be done. But that yeah. take out non-conference games, or do you think about expanding the regular season? Oof, I don't know. I I mean, I'm sure some people would be for it. the the grownups, the grownups in the room who who would benefit um, financially would be like, yeah, let's do that. Right. Yeah, but, yeah, that's a high uh, high demand on a right. high but, demand on a mm, college student's body. Yeah. Um, especially because yeah, they're not just like professional athletes can have I can have right. preseason like CFL has two preseason games, mm-hmm. eight, eighteen regular season games. NFL has what three preseason games or yeah, three, right? It's 
may it might be three i think it's still four no i think it's three because they added a game but they took a preseason game off something like it, that it's yeah. three and then and then 17 mm-hmm. so you're still getting 20 games and then you're like um, extending what past finals week past new year's past christmas holiday or you're going to extend it even earlier into the summer like you know in the summer like how how would they make that work right because you got to have just one game every week still um what, there's like two bye weeks depending on yeah. when your game is so maybe i, I throw, mean you, throw you, in another bye week and throw in yeah but see if you're adding in, teams then yeah you got to add another bye week so you're adding like another month of the season i mean you could add two weeks no two weeks one for a bye week and one for one non-conference game oh you're just and then oh okay okay you just one non-conference to, game almost like a preseason game no and no then so, you, so so you'd have two Okay. Two non-conference games okay, and eleven two. conference games. Because think about you're gotcha. playing eleven, eleven of the Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I can see and that. Unless you're like a the thing, it would, the people who would suck for are mm-hmm. the Notre Dame's, the yeah. the B, what BYU's, like people BYU's, that are not, the independent schools. People, yeah, yeah, the independent schools that are not in conferences. Mm-hmm. That is who it impacts. But I think that's why I kind of think things like this are happening to make those schools have to get back in a conference yeah that's true yeah they're trying to squeeze them into into doing so obviously notre dame is is not uh as willing to do it because they have their own tv deal and whatnot and they they make money their own way um but yeah real quick as we kind of wind things down here on this episode i swear this episode went by so fast um just for fun like let's go back a couple years to some different pac-12 title games and see how if this role was taken into effect then um a lot of the games would have been different so um uh, just kind of reading off the press release, they gave some examples. Um, or actually, this from from yeah, th- this is just from the press release, I believe. But John Wilner, uh, my colleague for the um, um, media news group, also had this as well. Um, so in 2011, we'll start there, right? You had it was number in the Pac-12 championship game. It was number nine Oregon against number four, no, against unranked UCLA. UCLA, uh, you know, kind of did their thing, kept it competitive. They lost to Oregon. 49 to 31 that uh pac 12 championship game was um a ucl uh, a rick neuheisel led ucla team and a chip kelly led oregon team the same oregon team that went on to win the pac 12 title obviously beating ucla and going on to the natural championship game and only to lose to cam newton in auburn uh 22 to 19 but the thing is if this rule that is now being taken into effect ucla wouldn't have even been in the pac 12 championship game um, it would have been number four Stanford. So that just sounds crazy in its own right that you had a Pac-12 championship game in 2011 and it did not feature a top five team. You would have had two top 10 teams. Um, thankfully, like for Oregon, they were still able to make it into the championship game. But imagine yeah, but how, they, how do they make it from nine? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that that we'd have to figure that out. A lot of people probably lost their conference games, but I mean, imagine Stanford, right? Stanford, get, if they were number four and they, they probably don't make it in because they didn't get to play in their conference game. If they play in their conference game and they beat Oregon, they're in that championship game maybe, right? So that's in 2011. 2012 was the same thing. Um, it was a number eight Stanford and number, no, yeah, number 16, UCLA. UCLA was ranked 16 coming into that Pac-12 championship game. Um, in 2012 but again UCLA shouldn't have been in that game if it was going by these new rules uh, because UCLA would have been out and number five Oregon should have been in there Um, but that Pac-12 championship game was Jim Mora versus uh, David Shaw 
Um, and they and UCLA only lost by three points in that game. It was 27-24. Um, some real, uh, real quick, I'll read off some other ones. It was number seven, Stanford against number 20, USC. But UC, USC shouldn't have been in that game. Should have been number 16, Oregon. Uh, number 11, Washington played number uh, thir- or played number 13, number 17, excuse me, Utah. But it should have been number 13, Washington State. So you would have had two Washington teams. Um, and then number 13 against number 25 or unranked Washington. Sorry, these are hard to read, but it should have been number 25, Colorado. Um, so, yeah, so it's all kind of confusing. But those two UCLA ones stand out to me um, the most. But with that being said, I, I you know, there's a lot of meat on the bone still here and we'll get to it down the road. Um, but again, thank you guys so much for listening for Josh and myself. Um, make sure you guys uh, continue listening and share it with your friends. We appreciate all the support. Thank you guys so, so much. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.